0: Where Three Waters Meet, a new collection of short stories written and read by author Sylvia Cullen based around the theme of survival. This series has been funded and supported by Wexford County Council in partnership with Creative Ireland. The fourth and final story in the series is called The Lanternist. Dawn is bluing the river Slaney before the bloodshot eyes of Dr. Robert Travers as he stands beside his mahogany desk, fountain pen in hand. The Register of Deaths and Discharges, May 1st, 1913, lies open behind him. Three further deaths from influenza brings the total for that disease to 17 for April alone. Travers has been up all night doing the rounds. He has accompanied the attendants in both the male and female wings, seeing for himself how the febrile patients are and learning about the progress of the outbreak through the Red Brick Building, the Enniscorthy District Lunatic Asylum for the insane poor of mind. All night he's been wrestling with new ideas to keep his patients safe and well. 180 men, 150 women... Along with staff, that makes the place a village with every death instilling fear. Staring out over the grey-blue waters, Travers knows all sorts of demands await. His wife has been asking him to have luncheon with the Rainsfords in town. He has no appetite for victuals or wine. Submatron has been pressing him to proceed with the order of meat, though she knows full well the last delivery was rancid, same as the eggs were old and the flour of poor quality. Behind him, on the desk, several documents await his signature. Just now, he cannot focus his mind on visiting inspectors from Dublin Castle and the holes they may wish to pick in his tightly run institution. Just now, Robert Travers is feeling overwhelmed. Not only by exhaustion, but by a deepening sense of failure and hopelessness against the spread of this flu. He feels the need to conjure up some beam of light for his patients, isolated as they are outside the town, behind the high stone walls which ring-fence them. Submatron knocks, and Travers turns away from the river towards the gaslight, which spreads a yellow glow over the stack of papers and memoranda. Sir, we have two more patients after taking ill with influenza. She studies his wan face. I've had them isolated, opposite the strong room. Travers feels her eyes bore into him. But the gaslight has awoken an idea, a plan. Submatron, please send word to every uninfected and capable patient and every member of staff. I will give a magic lantern show tonight, outside. Nine o'clock sharp against the whitewashed gable wall of the rag house, send to my wife for the apparatus and have the men set up the chairs far apart. Sub matron purses her lips and is about to launch forth when travers indicates the door and sits to his paperwork with a sigh and a brow of lead, walking away down the flight of granite stairs. She thinks of her younger sister taken by the flu not two weeks since. She grips the wooden rail tightly, swallowing down the waves of grief. It's work, not lanterns, that'll see her through. Coiled in her damp bed in the corner of the ward, Bridgie, the oyster seller, a flighty creature, has been sinking ever so low. In her mind she's been longing for a time to come and there'll be no more getting strange, no more walking the corridors with drooping head. Bridgie yearns to be well rid of her thoughts feeling all smothered up. She feels desperate enough to bring an end to things and set herself free from these nights of torment. In this state, Bridgie hears submatron's voice over by the door. A colour show, she hears, under cover of darkness. She has heard tell of these fantastic machines and she imagines the doctor showing beautiful images to buoy everyone up. A break away from the taint of disease and death that has haunted the asylum of late. From the window, Bridgie had witnessed all the coffins borne away by the horses. Black plumes for a man, white if a woman had died. Bridgie had heard all about the sickness and was afeard of catching it herself from one of the attendants. Even so, now she hurries over and asks sub-matron for leave to go down tonight. She wants to see the painted pictures, and see again Dr Travers, for it's been a while since they last spoke. What's the good of asking how I am, Doctor? Sure I'm made of iron. He had looked up from note-taking, and Bridgie met his gaze calmly. I hope my darkness will yours light. She had emphasised each word carefully and he had put his head to one side and heard her out. His darkness? How could this young woman possibly know? In the doorway, sub-matron looks down at Bridgie's hand, clasping her own in gratitude. Having reluctantly given permission for her to go, she sees how much it means and closes the door behind her, taken aback. For now, Bridgie's consternation of mind has eased. Her thoughts have settled, and she looks from her window towards the clock tower, marking time until the hour of the colours. By ten to nine that night, Dr Travers has finished setting up the kerosene fueled Lanterna Magica, when he suddenly feels a pang of dread seize hold. What if the patients are overcome by the brightness of the colours? What if they find the images outlandish or startling? Too late. Here are the male attendants leading their charges out. Shuffling, the grey-clothed line of men take their places, spaced out one from the other. The youngest reminds him of his son Jonathan, who died at only fifteen. The doctor's own darkness. Had it begun to put down roots then? Or had it always been there, behind the scenes, only seeping out when overwork and lack of sleep floored him? Next, the women arrive outside, noisier and louder, until the two divisions of chairs are packed full, with attendants pacing the grassy pathway in between and sub-matron nods over a Travers sourly. Will any good come of it? He can tell what she's thinking. He gestures for the portable lamps to be dimmed and braces himself, inserting the first glass slide, framed in dry beach. A friend has procured a new set of slides, depicting the snow-capped Alps that are out of this world, And as the astonishing hues of the first image illuminate the gable wall, the sniffles and coughs, all the cries and repeated questions, when may I return home? Cease, and a rich glow paints the sea of watching faces Prussian blue. It is the painter's colours in these miniature works of art which captivate Robert, a series of pigments so beautiful and gorgeously named that he cannot stop repeating them to himself. He does so under his breath as he watches his audience bewitched by the artistry of alpine peaks and crags appearing now over their heads in the cool night air. The shadowy asylum is forgotten as the crowd feast on Italian pink, Indian yellow, Crimson Lake and Burnt Sienna. Berry juices lay hidden inside, distilled verdigris, Berlin blue, brown that comes from the sap of walnuts, and a stunning red, prepared from the exotic wood of the Pernambuco tree. Travers' friend had recounted that only watercolours that let the light through could be used, the transparent shades Desperate for some light himself, silently Robert chants his list of favorites Tyrian purple, antimony orange, sunny bistre made by boiling up the soot of wood, Pompeian red, stile de grand, a sap green from Persian berries, graphite intrudes, vanta black, charcoal. No, he doesn't want these. Cobalt violet, he fights them off with emerald green instead. Han blue, chrome red, burnt umber, naples yellow. Lamp black, vine black, bone and ivory black, caput mortum. No! Green earth, he finds, Egyptian blue. Submatron is lost in the woodlands of the Alpine mountains. Tearing her eyes from the marvel of so many colours, she breaks the silence regretfully. Even as she orders the portable lamps lit and the attendants prepare to escort their charges back inside, a collective sigh flushes through the assembled men and women. A clapping starts up, a noise of patients' hands that is gathering strength. Still wrapped by the beauty now vanished from the wall, The rows of men and women turn to face the doctor and there are smiles, salt tears and wonder in the shaking heads as the clapping continues, praising the spectacle and the lanternist. Passing by as she takes her leave, Bridgie whispers to the doctor, Thank you for this. Tonight I seen the colours of Calochram Wood once again. A glory I thought I had forgot. Beating her fist to her breast, she adds, "'Twas inside in here all along. "'Only your lantern show brung it back to me. "'Magic, Bridgie, isn't it? "'For a moment, sir. I twas surely.' "'Submatron gently prods her charge, "'commands her to move along quickly. "'Bridgie shoots out her hand, "'grasping Travers firmly, "'in her eyes a gaiety.' We may have music next, Doctor. A bit of an old dance. You read my mind, Bridgie. The hospital band. I'm inviting them to accompany us to Coraclo Beach. When this unspeakable disease has passed, we shall have music on the seashore and dancing on the sands. Submatron dabs at her eyes. Bridgie gives Travers' hand one last big, powerful shake. I can retire happy for the night now and I'm going to see all them colours over again in me dreams. Travers nods. Me too. And Bridgie shuffles past him, stepping lightly. As the doctor puts his hand on the apparatus, still warm, still ticking as the metal and wood begin to cool, he readies himself to face another round, feeling able again. How was it his little daughter had put it? Holding up her hands in wonder at the first family magic lantern show in the drawing room, when they were all suddenly tinged with colour, spilling out from the machine. Daddy, we're all coloured in. That's it. That infusion is what he was craving. Smiling at the remembrance... Dr. Robert Travers heaves himself to his feet and turns to walk briskly inside, ascending into the lead white of the fever ward.